Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to continue in our series, Seeing Jesus Clearly. And if you do not have an outline, you pick up one right out there on the ministry counter, right outside the doors here, the center doors here. Please pick up one at that time. What was the 4th century B.C., and Alexander the Great was making his way through the known world, conquering city after city and country after country. He's making his way down to Jerusalem. He's coming down Tyre. He conquers the city of Tyre, and now he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the high priest in Jerusalem knew that he was coming, so he was preparing for this. He dressed in the garb of the high priest, and the other priest dressed in white, and they went out to meet him. And as the story goes by Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, he writes that Alexander the Great approached them on foot, prostrated, prostrated himself, and worshipped the name that the high priest had on his head garment. And it was the name Holy Unto Yahweh. And he worshipped that name, bowing down and praising that name, Holy Unto Yahweh. And then he went inside the city. And then he offered the sacrifice according to the instruction of the high priest. Two centuries later, we find the same thing happening again. Antiochus is coming into the city, and they met him outside the city, and they, they went out and met him and ushered him in. And that was just the, the common way of greeting people in, in those times, and not only the, the Roman culture, but also in the Greek culture, but also in the Jewish culture as well. We do the same thing today, don't we? If someone comes important in the city, what do we do? The mayor of the city gives them what? The key to the city. And they give all kinds of speeches and gifts and tributes and celebrations and all kinds of things. And that's just what people do when something, somebody important comes into the city. What do you expect least that when Jesus, the Son of God, is making his way down from Galilee? He's going south now, and he's coming, coming south down to Jericho. And he's still about 17 miles away from the city of Jerusalem. But the city was unprepared. The city was not interested. The city was not, not only in opposition because Jesus was coming to disrupt their system and their religion. They wanted no part of Jesus. They didn't want any part of him. So they wanted to ignore him. So the story that we have today is on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Jesus is crucified. It's a beautiful story about a humble king who will not be ignored then or now. He will not be ignored now. And so he's, Jesus comes into that city. And what he does, he, he would do a couple of things that are very disruptive, disruptive things to, to the people that would grab the attention of the people that they no longer could ignore him. He wanted to make sure you cannot ignore me. They either had to receive him or they had to reject him. That's what he was doing. The first thing he did when he went into the city, he came riding on the city, riding in a colt of a donkey that Sunday before he was crucified. The second thing he would do, he would go and he would curse a fig tree. The third thing he would do, he would go on and he cleansed the temple. And these were very disruptive things to get the attention of people so they had to make a choice. You've got to make a decision. That's what he wanted them to do. To see, he's going to disrupt. He's not going away. You've got to make a decision. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to Mark chapter 11, as I said. And Jesus is coming, I want you to realize, as the humble king who will not be ignored. And many of you receive Jesus as king. And when you receive Jesus as king, I wonder if you understand exactly what did you receive? When you accepted him as king, when you accepted him into your life, what did you receive? I don't want to share three things today that hopefully open up your hearts and minds that should be true in your life, should be true, and I hope it's true in all of our lives, that Jesus is the first one, a, a king who commands you. A king who commands you. Let's begin reading Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage 
in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you were doing this, tell them the Lord needs it, and he will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So it's uh, Jesus for a number of months is making his way. He's making his way from Galilee where he'd minister, and he's making his way south down to the uh, northern shore of the Sea of Galilee to, to Bethsaida and Capernaum, and now he's making his way south. And as last week we said he was in Jericho, as we looked at last week, and remember, as he's in Jericho and he's coming down, he's with his 12 disciples and he's with a large crowd. Remember, he met the blind man on the road called Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he repeats it again. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. He recognized that Jesus was that anointed one. He was the promised one. He connected the dots and realized that Jesus was the one who was going to come and sit on David's throne forever and ever and ever. And they're waiting for him for so long. But this man, Bartimaeus, of all the other people, he connected the dots. And this is a really big deal. He put it together and realized who Jesus was. And it helps us to understand who Jesus really is. And Jesus now, he's making his way to Jerusalem. But he's still about two miles outside of the city. But you can still see the city from where he's at because the city of Jerusalem's up on a hill. And he tells his disciples, two of his disciples, do something very interesting. But right now it's Passover week, and historians tell us that normally in this city they would have about 30,000 people at that time. But because it's Passover week, there would be about 180,000 people would be in the city. And Josephus, the early church historian, writes, during that time, there would be 255,000 animals would be sold as sacrifices. So the city was a buzz. I mean, there was animals, people bringing animals in there, but looking for sacrifices. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples could have easily slipped into the city. They could have easily went in there quietly, but Jesus doesn't do that. What does he do? He organizes a parade. A parade with his disciples and, and those all that were following him because he wants to be noticed. And he told two of his disciples, says, I want you to go find a coat that's been tied up, and I want you to go get them. And if anybody asks you about that coat while you're taking them, say the Lord needs it, and he'll bring it back shortly. Try that this afternoon at Walmart or, or go to Lowe's or someplace. They go in there and start walking out with the lawnmower, right, Jennifer? Walk out with the lawnmower and say, the Lord needs it when they ask you. What do you think they're doing to you? But that's what he told his disciples to do. So, so Jesus told him to go get the coat, and he told him something that probably didn't make a lot of sense to them at the time. Didn't make a whole lot of sense. What? All this is happening, Jesus. Why do we need a coat? But they obeyed. They went and got the coat and brought it back. I don't know a lot about horse riding or donkey riding, but I'm going to go on a limb here. You don't want to be the first one to ride a donkey, right? You don't want to be the first one to ride it. But that's what Jesus does. He gives this order. Yeah, you look at this story. It's deep and fascinating. First, he asks, what was so important about Jesus riding on a colt? Why was that so important? The first thing, it elevates him. He wanted everyone to see him. He wanted everyone to know that it was him, that he was coming in to disrupt the city because no one else would be on the colt of a donkey. And he wanted people to see him from all others that are walking around that Jesus was on the colt of a donkey. Second, it was fulfillment of prophecy. In doing so, Jesus is identifying himself as the one fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Let me read it to you. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. When it says Zion, it just means Jerusalem. 
So rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. He says it again. Seeing your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Now this was written five centuries before Jesus ever came. The prophet is saying that there's going to be one who's coming. Five centuries before he came, there's going to be one who's coming, and you're going to identify this one who is coming by riding on the colt of a donkey. That's how you're going to know who he is. And when you see this one that is coming, riding on the colt of a donkey, your responsibility is to rejoice greatly. That's what it says there in, in verse 9. You rejoice greatly when you see this. But when you see this, you know this is the one, the promised one. You're going to know this for sure. But the city didn't get it. They just didn't understand it. But it goes on in Zechariah 9, 10, and it says this too. It says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river, meaning Euphrates River, to the ends of the earth. This is, again, uh, pro prophetic, what it's saying here. This is such a, such a sharp contrast from Alexander the Great, who came in a war horse, ready triumphant. Here comes Jesus on a foal of a donkey that has never been ridden. It's fulfillment of prophecy, what we have here. Not only was it in so a contrast and so distinct, but he was coming with a completely different message. It was a message of peace, that I'm offering you peace, everyone peace. So he's saying there's no longer going to be the need for the chariot. There's no longer going to be a need for a war horse. There's no longer going to be any need for a battle bow because he's coming and he's offering peace to all. And he says that peace will start in the hearts of people. And then it's going to extend. He go from, go from shore to shore and from sea to sea. And it will have no end is what he says. Also, fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 9, where it says when he comes, he will be called the Wonderful One, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And it says in verse Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It will last forever and ever and ever, for all of eternity, the peace that Jesus comes to bring. The Luke account of this Palm Sunday gives us a little bit more detail of what was happening. As Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives, down that trip to Jerusalem, it tells us that Jesus wept. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but when I hear my Savior weeps, I want to know why. What would cause Jesus to weep? Why would he all of a sudden, he's coming down, people are praising him, and Jesus weeps? Well, Luke gives us two reasons, the reason Jesus wept. The first one, he says the Bible said that Jesus wept because they didn't understand what would bring them peace. They didn't understand it. For many, they were looking for Jesus to be a political leader, to overthrow Rome and to sit on the, 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 the throne there and to bring in the Torah, the first five books, and they would live by that and bring in the Jewish culture, bring that all back. See, they didn't understand that this peace had bigger enemies. And Jesus' task was to defeat those enemies. Without last the peace that the overthrown Rome would bring, because sin, death, and Satan had to be defeated. And that's what this was all about. That's why Jesus came, and they didn't get it. And Jesus wept. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand why he came. And Jesus is a king who commands, and we need to understand that. He's a king who commands. And his commands that he gave his disciples, also for us, not just the red-letter words, but they're for us. It's incumbent upon all of us to understand when we receive the king, we receive a king who commands. And his commands to us are not suggestions. They're, his commands to us are not options. They're not for prayer consideration. 
He wants us to obey when he tells us something. So I don't want you to pray about it. I expect obedience. When God commands something, there's not something we say, I'll pray about it and I'll get back to you later. God said, no, I expect obedience. I expect you to obey me. And we're supposed to obey him. Have we recognized when we receive the king that we receive a king who commands? And his commands are always good for us. Do you realize that? What he's asking us to do, it may be difficult, but it's good for us. And it always is for his glory. Always, always. But Jesus may ask us to do things that sometimes we don't understand. Just like he asked the disciples, go get a colt of a donkey that's never been written and bring him to me. They didn't understand. But they obeyed. They obeyed what he told them. It was a command. Go do it. It wasn't an option. Go do it. Just like his commands are clear when he says to us, come and accept me. Come and receive me. They're clear. And his commands are clear when he says, be baptized. His commands are clear when he says, go and make disciples of all nations. It's incumbent of all of us that we understand when we receive the king, we have to obey his commands. All of his commands, not some, not pick and choose. We have to obey him. When Jesus speaks to you, either through his word, predominantly how he speaks to us, or he whispers by the power of the Holy Spirit in our ears, we are to obey him. We are to listen to him and do what he says. And remember, Jesus will never tell us to do anything that is contrary to the word, that is a conflict with his word or his principles or his nature or his will. So if you are doing something that's in conflict with the word of God, that is against the word of God, it does not come from God. It's not a voice from Jesus. It's your own flesh or listen to the enemy. But it doesn't come from him. He will never ask you to do anything that is against his word. His word speaks truth. I've heard people say over the years, you know, this baptism thing. You know, I, I'm praying about it, you know. And I, I, my question is, what are you praying about? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus to be baptized? He tells us his commands are to be obeyed. He tells us he commands us to be baptized. And he expects us to obey him. Not wonder. He says, therefore, go make disciples and baptize them. His disciples, his followers, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus are to be baptized. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not for consideration of prayer. He expects us to obey him. Sometimes people say to themselves, you know, that thing about money, where it talks about giving your tithe, and we're supposed to give our tithe. I know what God said. I know what Jesus said. And they always say all that. But to get that we're supposed to give our full tithe. But you don't know my situation. I wasn't brought up with that way. And I can't afford to do that. Well, we need to realize when Jesus commands, we are to obey him completely. It's not an option. He will help us when we obey, but we must fully obey him first. He wants to help us, but he expects us to obey him first. And he says, I will help you. I'll help you accomplish what he wants us to accomplish in our lives. But there's many things that we, God commands from the word of God, and we think that it's a consideration, a suggestion, and it's not. It's not an option. He expects obedience. And sometimes we wonder why our walk with God is not right, because we're not obeying clear examples of Scripture where he's commanding us to do things. Not only is he king who commands us, but Jesus is a king who delights you, who delights you. Let's read verse 7 through 10. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. These were words of celebration. They, they were singing Hosanna. 
It comes from the Old Testament word, from the Old Testament, that simply means save us. That's what they're saying. Save us. Save us is what they were saying. And later it now becomes the word that we have of praise and celebration when we do that. But that word takes us to another time. It takes us back to Passover week. That's where that word comes from. As thousands are gathered together, where there were three festivals that the Jewish men had to attend. And this was one of them. They, had, they come there to celebrate. They come there to remember God's deliverance of the nation of Israel from Egypt. That's why they came. Passover week. To remember, God delivered them from Egypt. And they were to sing these Egyptian praise songs that the deliverance from Egypt had come. And during this time, Psalms 113 through 118, they were sung during Passover week. They sung those songs, Psalm 113 through 118. So if you want to read those during Passover week's break, because that's what they would do. They would sing those songs. I just want to read a couple verses from Psalm 118. It says this, verse 25 and 26. O Lord, save us, or O Lord, Hosanna. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. So these are the songs that people would sing during Passover week. Now, these were the songs people are singing following Jesus. See the big difference? They're singing the same songs that they sung Passover. They're singing it to Jesus. They're understanding something. And they laid down their, clo- their coats. As they laid them down, I wonder if they're thinking to themselves, God deliver us from Egypt. Here's our deliverer from Rome. Here he is. But Jesus had more in mind than to deliver them from Rome, didn't he? I think this is the first time in Mark's gospel that we have that Jesus didn't restrain their praise, that they praised him and he didn't stop it. Why? Because his time had finally come. His time had arrived. His life on here on earth and before his death was just now hours and and just a few days. It's coming, it's coming. And now Jesus is presenting himself as the Messiah. He's presenting himself as the Lamb of God right here. He wants all to know. He wants them all to know. He wants to disrupt the city with it. So they all know, I'm coming to present myself. What are you going to do with me? Accept me or reject me? When you and I are excited about something, we've been blessed. When we've been delighted, we like to express it, don't we? We like to shout it out loud. Man, I'm so excited this happened to me. If you ever watch sports, I talk a lot about sports because I love sports and I can identify with it. If you ever watch sports and a team wins the big game and they're all excited and they're celebrating and all this, why? Because they're delighted. If you get a new job or you get a promotion at your job, you're all excited and you celebrate. Why? Because you're delighted. When a couple gets married and they have the marriage ceremony, then they go to the reception to celebrate. Why? Because they've been delighted. We're delighted. It's hard to keep quiet about it, isn't it? We want to celebrate. Well, shouldn't that be the way it is in our lives if we've been delighted by God? If we've been delighted by God, shouldn't we want to celebrate and express it and shout it loud and let everyone know and let them know that? I've told you many times that God loves you. God loves you so much. And he had a plan from the beginning of time, from the beginning of time as you and I know it, that he would redeem us, that he would save us because we couldn't save ourselves. So the Bible says the fullness of time, the actual conversation between the Godhead is given to us in Hebrews chapter 10, where Jesus says, a body you prepared for me. And that's taken from the Greek translation of the Old Testament text. And what it really says in Hebrew, it says, you've dug out my ear. <laughs> Sounds kind of strange, but what it means, you've shaped me. You shaped me. You gave me this body. You formed me and gave me this body. You created a body. And this body you gave me was in the form of a baby. That he came as a baby to come and to live and to teach and to model and then come down the side of the Mount of Olives to eventually 
to give himself up on the cross and go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins. And maybe you ask, what did he give us? The freedom from guilt, the deliverance from sin, reconciles us to the holy, righteous God is what he did. And the Holy Spirit now lives within us, all who accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he just blesses us and blesses us. We're like the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 where he says, Praise be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you realize that? You know Jesus said you're Savior. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. A God who delights in you. Are you delighted in him, though? That's the question. He delights in you. He's, he's demonstrated his delight. Are you delighted in him? I hope you are. Hope your delight in Jesus, you can't keep quiet. You say, I'm so delighted. Not only in terms of your worship, but also in your terms of your service and your giving to him. He says, I'm so delighted in Jesus, I can't help but sharing with others about Jesus. Because they desperately need to hear about Jesus, right? They desperately need to hear it. See, Jesus is, he's a king who commands us. And he's also, he is a king who delights us. The third one, Jesus is a king who saves us. He's a king who saves us. Verse 11 says, Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I would love to know the details of that verse. Think about it. He doesn't talk about the temple I mean, I'm about the crowds, rather. He doesn't talk about the disciples here or the crowds. He talks about that Jesus went in the temple the later part of the day, and he looked around at everything. Imagine Jesus. He goes in the temple. He's looking around at the people, just looking at everything, just glancing around. And the Bible tells us a little bit more, Mark, Luke, and John. It tells us, it gives us some detail of what he saw and how it impacted him. It impacted him that the Bible tells us that it, it was closing on Passover. And what was happening, so you understand what was happening, what he saw, there was an exchange of money. That people would come from these other countries, and they'd have to exchange their money, that different currency. So they exchanged their currency with a transaction fee. They had to buy animals for sacrifice, because you don't bring animals that long distance. So they had to buy animals for sacrifice with a transaction fee. And people were making money, and they're profiting all of this. All kind of money was exchanging. And Jesus would later say, you made this as a den of robbers. And this is supposed to be a house of prayer. But you made it a house of merchandising. And no longer is a house of, of prayer. And no longer is a house of worship. On his way, he goes back, the Bible tells us, he goes back that night to Bethany. But the next morning, on his way to go back to the temple, he sees a fig tree. And he sees this fig tree, and he curses the fig tree. And he says this, may no one ever eat from your fruit again. This was symbolic of what he saw in the temple the night before. Because what he saw in the temple the night before, he saw unrighteousness without fruit. He saw religion without fruit. He saw no righteousness. So there, he, he goes on and he says, may this tree never bear fruit again. Maybe no one ever eat from the fruit of this tree again. And then he goes into the temple. And he goes into the temple and he overturns the, the tables, chases out the money exchangers and all this. And he was disruptive because he's a humble king who will not be ignored. No one's going to ignore him. He was doing everything he was doing that morning, that day, all that week, was so people could not ignore him. He was making sure, I'm going to disrupt everything you're doing. You have to pay attention to me. There's no way you're going to ignore me. There's no way you're going to cast me to the side. You're going to have to make a decision about me. He's turning everyone and let them see who he is. And no longer could you ignore who he was. You have to make it a decision. And everybody, not only now, 
now, but then, but then, but now. He says, you got to make a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? This humble king who will not be ignored. You know, when I was sharing with you, I said there was two reasons Jesus wept when he came down the Mount of Olives. Remember that? I only gave you one, right? The first one, the, that they didn't understand what, what would bring peace. The second one is also given the Gospel of Luke, that they did not understand the time of God's visitation. They didn't understand the time of God's visitation. The day of God's visitation was a term that was used in the Old Testament. It was a term that was used for a couple of different things. That God would often visit in either blessing or judgment. That God would come down and, and he would say, you're going to have a baby. Blessing. Or he'd say, the time of judgment has come. And so Jesus wept that day as he came down the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, because Jesus said, you have not recognized the day of God's visitation. The day that Jesus came in blessing. I came to bless you, is what he said. That's why I came. And this is a principle for all of us to, to realize that we don't miss this principle. We don't miss this. It's really important. It, we, if we miss the day of God's visitation of blessing, if we miss that day, one day we will experience God's visitation of judgment. That's what he's telling us. One day we'll all experience, we not accepted that. God is visiting right now visitation of blessing, offering his salvation to free to everyone who would have it. Please don't miss it. Please don't miss his, his offer, his visitation of blessing that he's offering right now. Don't miss it, because if you miss it, if you miss it, you will experience one day his visitation of judgment, guaranteed. Guaranteed. That's what he was saying. These people rejected the, the promise of a blessing, the peace, so they didn't experience a judgment on them. And I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm not trying to scare you to accept Jesus. I'm not trying to put this. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. This is what the Word of God is saying. That's what, he's, that's what this is symbolic here. That's what it's showing here. I want every one of us to be together in heaven with Jesus, worshiping. That's what we have to do. The question, have you received Jesus on the day of visitation of blessing? Have you done that? If not, you must. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Accept him today. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. That's what he wants. That's why he came. He came of a visitation of blessing to offer peace to all who would accept him as their Savior. That's why he came. He doesn't want you to experience his visitation of blessing, I mean, of judgment, but it will come one day. Jesus would go, go on to say to his disciples, this temple will be destroyed. In three days, it will be raised again. Later on, we find out in scriptures that the disciples understood that Jesus was talking about his physical body. They understood he was talking about that. May I challenge all of you in this room? I want to give you three words of challenge. Three words of challenge in response to a king who will not be ignored. Three ways we respond to Jesus. And the first word I want to challenge you with is obey. Obey him. As you look at your own life and introspective, and ask the Holy Spirit to kind of examine your life, examine your heart and your mind and your life, and think, is there any disobedience in my life to God? Is there any sin in my life that I need to confess or anything in my life? Is there anything, anything in your life where you're disobedient to him? And some of us may not have to think very long. So, oh man, there's all kinds of things that I maybe got some bad habits or, or maybe some vocabulary. My vocabulary is really bad or, or in terms of, or maybe I've got a hard heart. I'm not willing to forgive others. Just not willing to forgive. Maybe it's words of malice or I've got greed or maybe it's just disobedience. I'm just sinning. I'm just in sin right now. May I challenge all of us, let's obey him. Let's obey him. You know, God's commandments are, are difficult. They're hard. They're not easy. And Jesus never said they're going to be easy. 
He said they're going to be difficult. But they're always, always, remember this, they're always good for us. Always what Jesus is asking us to do, it's better for us. It's good for us. And it's always for his glory. Always remember that. It may be difficult what he's asking you to do, but in the long run, it's the best for you. Jesus would never ask you to do anything that's second best for you. He's looking at what's best for you and for his glory. Remember that. Jesus reminds us in the book of John on the night before he was crucified. When he's sharing with his disciples, he said, Blessed are those who keep my commandments. Blessed are you. What he's saying is, happy are you. Well-ordered are your lives. Those who keep my commandments. Happy and well-ordered lives is what happens with you. That means you're blessed. You're blessed. The second word is delight. Is delight. You have a king who delights in you. Delight in him. Delight in Jesus. We've received so much blessing, haven't we? Our cups are full and overflowing, right? Can you actually say, my cup is running over? Our cups are overrunning with, with just blessing from Jesus. The Bible says if we're silent, the rocks and the mountains will cry out the Jesus name. Let's worship Jesus. Let's just spend some time with him. Let's delight in Jesus. And there's no better week than Easter week, than Holy Week, than Passion Week, to just spend some time with Jesus and delighting in him, thanking him for all he did, that he died on the cross. Spend some time Friday. As I say, there's going to be a message online. Listen to the message and just delight in him, thanking him and spending time that Jesus was obedient to God the Father. And as a result, he delights us and we delight in him. Let's delight in him. He delights us. Let's delight in him. The third word I challenge you with is invite, invite. Let me use this two different ways. The first, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, would you turn to him and invite him into your life? Would you, would you accept him as your Savior? Invite him to be your Savior? This is a big deal. This is between life and death. This is eternity. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life because it determines where you will spend eternity. And you don't want to get this one wrong. This one you want to get right. Of all other decisions, you want to get this one right. Today, God is offering his blessing, his visitation of blessing. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior by just understanding that I'm a sinner and Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Do that today. Trust him as your Savior. Put your faith and trust in him. The second way to invite, invite people to share the life of Jesus with you. It's no better time to invite people to come to church with you next week, Easter Sunday, so they might have a chance to celebrate the resurrection and really learn what the resurrection really, truly means. So they might come to understand him. If your cup is full and overflowing, share with somebody else. Share with somebody else. Don't keep that to yourself. Jesus never meant for you to keep it to yourself. Share it with someone else. Share God's goodness with them what Jesus did for you and how he changed your life. And he can change their life too, no matter what mess they're in, no matter where they're at in their life. He can change their life too. Let's remember Jesus together. And I thought to myself, there's no better way to remember Jesus than taking communion, the fellowship and taking communion and remembering him, all that he did for us. And I want to challenge you to do three things as we take communion this morning, as we get our hearts ready. The first, that you would spend a few moments confessing sin. You spend moments and just think, God, is there any disobedience in my life against you, that towards you? Anything in that I'm not obeying you, that you just spend some time confessing that to him. Just spend some time confessing it. God promised to forgive our sins and restore us and, 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promises to do that. So confess it. You're not going to have God's going to strike you down. He knows your sin. Let me, he already knows what it is. Just come in agreement. Yeah, God, that's a sin. I'm doing that. Confess it. Second, thank Jesus for dying on the cross. Spend some time just thanking him. Jesus, I thank you so much because without the cross, without the resurrection, you and I would have no hope for eternity. We'd have no hope for forgiveness of sins. We'd have no hope of being reconciled to holy God. It's only through Jesus and the blood of the cross, Jesus. So thank Jesus for going to the cross. And then third, praise God for his goodness. God is good, isn't he? He's so good that he sent his one and only son. Think about that. You that have children, he gave his son up for you that you might have forgiveness of sins. He was willing to sacrifice his own son. So praise him for his goodness that he loves us so much. So much. Let's remember Jesus as we take these elements, okay? As we take the, the cup, when we take the wafer. Let's remember he gave his body and he shed his blood for you and I so we might have forgiveness of sins. Let's praise him this morning. And as always, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to partake with us this morning. And the elements, we're not going to pass them out. We're going to ask you to come up after I get done praying. To come up, we have three stations. To come up and you pick up the, the elements yourself. There's two cups, one on top of each other, one with the wafer and one with the juice in. So take them back and take them back to your seat. And at the end, we'll take them together. But also, as you're coming up, practice social distancing, okay? So we can be safe this morning. But let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord, we come. And Lord, we come and we say that you are a king. You are the king of kings and lord of lords, and there's no one like you. And you are a king who will not be ignored. People try to ignore you, but you will not be ignored. It will not go away. And Jesus, you are a king who commands us, who delights us, and who saves us. And Lord, without you, we have nothing. Without you, we have no hope. But because of you, Lord, we have all the hope of a future and eternity with you, greater than we can imagine. So this, Lord, this morning, Lord, we come. We bow down to our King. This morning we come as you invite us. Lord, all who know Jesus as their Savior are invited to come to your table, to fellowship and commune together. And so, Lord, as we come to your table in communion, and Lord, we come recognizing that you are our King. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are God. And you came and you died on the cross for our sins. That you were buried and you rose on the third day. That, Lord, we are clarifying that. We're proclaiming that as we take communion this morning. We're proclaiming that we're believers in Jesus, that we believe in you. But as we take this communion, let us spend time with you this morning. Let us draw closer to you this morning as we take the cup, we take the wafer, as we take these elements. Let us remember you, your death on the cross and all that you did for us. Let us praise your name. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.